0: What's up, Everlast? How we doing? Doing good? I like it. I can hear Luke all the way from up here. Love it. Um, well, my name is Tina, and uh, I'm the young adult coordinator here. And I'm also married to Kevin, who is our young adult pastor. And tonight we are continuing in our series, Wise Words. And so in this series, uh, we'll be going through the book of Proverbs, and where we will walk through different Proverbs over the course of this month. Last week, if you were here, uh, Kevin hit on Proverbs 5, and I would just encourage you, if you missed last week, uh, to go check out that podcast. We pray that it would be uh, beneficial for you, so you can do that on our uh, Everlast podcast. And so tonight, we are going to be walking through several verses in the book of Proverbs, but our core verse is found in Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. And if you need a Bible, we have some uh, in the back you can grab while we're praying. So Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Well, Father, we thank you for tonight. God, we ask that you would move in and through this place. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Father, we need you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict where conviction needs to take place. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall in this room tonight. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, when I was little, there were several words that were not appropriate and that I was not allowed to say as a five-year-old. And if those words were said, then I would get in trouble, right? I'd get grounded or not be able to do something that I wanted to do, or my parents would, you know, uh, take something away. Or usually, um, my rear end, if you will, would get tore up. The good old fashioned spanking. Can I can I get an amen? Or there's some people who yeah 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 I get some empathy to kind of test to this. Y'all have been on the recipient end right of many of those not so fun childhood moments right where you put on as many jeans as you can so that it hurts less. Amen. Listen, but if I said or got caught saying specific words that I wasn't supposed to, that it was going to go down. And one of those words that we were not allowed to say and was not considered a nice word started with the letter S. Now, many of you in the room right now are thinking of a lot of different words, so let me just quickly say and spell out the one I'm talking about. S-T-U-P-I-D. Stupid, I know, bad word. Especially when you're five. Right? It was that word, stupid, that I was not allowed to say. And what's crazy about that word is in the wrong context, it's not a good word to use. Right? Uh, usually, it is used in a way that is demeaning or unkind. However, in the right context, it's a totally appropriate word to use. In fact, Proverbs 12, verse 1, our core verse for this evening, says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, let me be clear here. Is the Bible actually saying that if you hate correction that you're stupid? Like if you reject correction, reproof, or rebuke that 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 individual is stupid? Well, before we answer that, it's helpful to know what that uh, word stupid means. The Hebrew word uh, for stupid is ba'er, and it's translated to mean foolish, stupidity, senseless, and brutish, which means one who lacks intelligence. So, so knowing that, going back to our question, is the Bible saying for those who hate, meaning they despise, reject any form of correction in their life, any form of rebuke or reproof, Is the Bible saying that they are senseless, foolish, one who lacks intelligence is stupid? Uh, yes, it is. It, and it's pretty clear on that. In fact, other verses that affirm this are verses like Proverbs 15:5: "A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent, meaning wise." Proverbs 12:15 says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And by the way, that word fool is translated as someone who despises wisdom, someone who despises advice or correction. It's someone who is right in their own eyes. And and what's interesting about those verses is that for some of us in the room, when we hear the word fool, we're good with it, meaning it's not as offensive. When the Bible refers to someone who is a fool, we hear that, and it's not as shocking of a word. But when we hear the word stupid, that when the Bible refers to someone based off their actions is stupid, we get offended. When in reality, Proverbs 12.1, Proverbs 15.5, and Proverbs 12.15 are essentially saying the exact same thing, which is this that the Bible is speaking very, very clearly on the extreme importance of receiving correction to the point that it would use words like foolish and senseless and stupid. So Everlast, I just want to start off by asking this question. How well do you receive correction? If you're taking notes, you can write it at the top. How well do I receive correction? And here's what I specifically mean by that. If someone were to approach you and correct you on something, what is your initial response? If someone were to rebuke you or call you out on a sin issue that that's going on, how do you respond? Or maybe it's not even sin. Maybe it's someone correcting you on how to do something better. Well, what happens in that moment? Well, what's going down in your heart when you hear correction? Because the truth uh, of the matter is that for majority of people in the room, it, due to our sinful human nature, we, we have an inner foolish part of us that believes we don't need advice, right? I'm good. I don't want your advice. I feel like I'm pre- doing pretty fine on my own. And listen, if I need advice, the, the Lord's gonna show me. But did you know that one, uh, that one of the ways that God uses correction in our life Actually, most often the way that God corrects us is through his people, uh, through brothers and sisters in Christ. It's true. Proverbs 19, 20 instructs us to listen to counsel, to, to listen to advice. And it also says to accept correction, meaning to take it and receive it. And yet some of us don't like that, right? We, we don't wanna be corrected. And because we don't like that, when someone approaches us with correction, our initial response is to what? is to get defensive, to, to prove or to justify why we're in the right and they are totally in the wrong. Right, it's that inner lawyer that starts to come out and we start to get frustrated or worked up or often easily offended when, when some of us hear correction. And when some of us hear correction, we are totally crushed by what someone just said. Like crushes us to the point of worrying or obsessing over what they think or being so distraught to the point that uh, we end that relationship or friendship and no longer associate ourselves with that individual? Everlast, what is your tendency? What is your typical response when someone approaches you with correction? Because listen, how you answer that question is going to show what you believe about receiving correction. And it's also going to show what you believe about giving correction for that matter. Your response is either going to show that you believe correction is a good, biblical, healthy, and much-needed thing in your life, or that receiving correction is bad, not needed, and only creates tension and animosity in your relationships. How you respond to correction says a lot about what you believe about correction. And so if you're a believer in the room, it's extremely important to know what the Word says about this topic of correction. If we believe the word is good and it's active and it uh, brings life and it's true, then what the Bible says about correction should shape how we view correction, what we believe about receiving correction, and then therefore how we respond to correction. So, if you're taking notes, here's the outline for tonight. As we look to the Word of God, we're going to answer three. Uh, we're going to answer three things specifically regarding correction. One. What does the Bible say about correction and why is it needed? Well, what does the Bible say about correction and why is it needed? Two, how is correction biblically exhibited? Three, when is correction appropriate? So again, what does the Bible say about correction? How is correction biblically exhibited and when is correction appropriate? So answering question one, what does the Bible say about correction and why is it needed? Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Everlast, this, this proverb alone should completely change our views and understanding towards correction. Because what God is saying about correction is that correction is a display of God's love for you. Just like a father would correct his son in whom he delights in and loves. Uh, I'll just give you an example. I talked with my dad yesterday about this topic. And he shared a story with me about his mom, whom we called Mimi. So let me just give you some background on Mimi. Mimi was my grandma. She was awesome, loved Jesus. Uh, when I think about, if you were to say, Tina, who is one person in your life that you just look up to and want to be like? It was her. Like, I think she had close to a thousand people at her funeral, like just impacted so many people uh, for the gospel. And so that, that's Mimi. So I share that because of the story I'm about to share. So you have a background, Mimi loves Jesus. Here's a story. So my dad said when he was little, uh, the ice cream truck used to come through his neighborhood. And he said Mimi told him to never go out by himself without her. And he said he was only like four or five, right? So Mimi doesn't want him to get hurt, right? He doesn't want him to get like ran over by a car or, you know, worse, like kidnapped, And so he said, one day um, he's sitting outside and the next door neighbor heard the ice cream truck coming as he was playing outside. And she came over and gave my dad a dime to go get a snow cone. Like, can we just talk about that? A dime, snow cone. I'm gonna continue. He said, uh, he said, I was so excited. I ran down the road and got my snow cone. And I had just got back to the house and Mimi saw me eating the snow cone outside. And she said to my dad, Mart, where, where'd you get the snow cone? And he said, he said, I was so proud. I said, Miss Inez gave me money, mom. And she asked, did you go by yourself? And he said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I told you never to go by yourself. And my dad said, I'm sorry. And she said, I am too because when you finish your snow cone, you're getting a spanking. And my dad said he cried the whole time eating the snow cone. He said it was like the worst snow cone he's ever ate. Now, when my dad shared that story, I was like, man, like that seems super harsh, right? Can we talk about that? That was Miss Inez's fault in the first place, right? Like she's the one who gave him the dime and just completely set him up for failure. But here's the reality. The reason my dad got corrected wasn't because Mimi didn't love him or she was out to get him. It was because in fact she did love him and didn't want him to make the same decision again that that could end up hurting him. In fact, it would be unloving for Mimi to let him as a four-year-old just go off down the road by himself, right? To, To go off where no one could see him and just let him do whatever he wanted to do. And that's what the scripture is saying. I love how one author put it. He said, a father who truly loves his children will correct them appropriately. For a father to leave sins and failings uncorrected is not a sign of love. It is a sign of indifference and the selfish disregard that often accompanies indifference. And God is not a God of indifference. He is a God who deeply loves you. And so one of the ways that God displays his love towards us is through correction. Correction is a means in which God uses to expose sin in us and to keep us from going down a road of endless destruction. That that is a God who is loving, that isn't indifferent towards you, but cares enough to correct you, to, to keep you from harm and going down a path of sinful destruction another verse that confirms this is Revelation 319 which says those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent listen if you're a christian in the room you have a loving father who corrects you for your good uh, romans 8 28 a lot of us know this verse and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those uh, who are called according to his purpose God loves us and works all things together for good, and that includes correction. And so if God in his loving kindness shows us his love but by correcting us or rebuking us, then listen, how we view correction should be through the lens that correction is a good, healthy, biblical, much-needed thing in our lives, and therefore should change how we respond to it, especially when it comes from a brother or sister in Christ who is giving the correction. Listen, God corrects us in many different ways. He may do it through uh, the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit, which you can look that up later, John 16, 8. It may come through disappointing and hard circumstances, Hebrews 12, verses 10 through 11, or 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. But everlasting most often, it comes to us in reproof from a brother or sister in Christ. Proverbs nineteen twenty says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your later, latter days. Psalms 141 5 says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head and let my head not refuse it. Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Right? Proverbs is instructing us that we are to listen to counsel and receive instruction and correction from others. That the psalmist said it is good for a righteous man to rebuke him and correct him. And Ecclesiastes says we need others. So if if one falls, the other will lift him up. And that includes correction, God's correction most often comes through reproof from a brother or sister in Christ. And so if that's the case, that that God often corrects us uh, through the correction and counsel from others, then then our response to correction should be a welcoming, thankful, and willingness to receive it. Now there's something to be said here. uh, Because for many of us, if not most of us or all of us in the room, have received correction in a negative way. Uh, One of the reasons you may not like correction is because the communication side of it was not done biblically, meaning the corrector, if you will, did not approach you correctly. Uh, Their words were more harmful than good. It wasn't out of love or humility, or maybe they didn't have the relational equity, equity to even be speaking into your life in the first place. And so therefore, because of that, you now view correction as a negative thing. But listen, that's not the way correction should be. We just read that correction is a great thing. It's a display of God's love for us. Everlast, there is a biblical way to go about correction, that there is a biblical way to receive it. And and so, uh, and there's a biblical way to give it. And so that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking through tonight. In fact, a great example of correction in the Bible is played out in scripture through the story of Jethro and Moses. So if you have your Bible open, this is going to be really helpful for you. Can you please turn to Exodus chapter 18? Exodus chapter 18. These verses will not be on the screen. Um, it's a good size passage. And so it will be helpful uh, to have your eyes on it as we read. So Exodus chapter 18. So while you're turning there, um, I'm just going to give you a little background on what's going on in Exodus chapter 18. So we have Jethro who is Moses' father-in-law. And at this point in the story, Jethro, who uh, has now joined, has now joined Moses, bringing along with him Moses' wife, which would have been his daughter, and two boys to rejoin Moses. Now, as Moses was doing his thing for the Lord, working as a great prophet, leader, judge, right, who the people looked up to, Jethro noticed something wrong. So starting in verse 13, read along with me. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because... The people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known to them the statues of God and his laws. So let's just pause here really quickly, just so you're tracking. Jethro has join, joined Moses, sees Moses as a great leader, but notices Moses is doing a lot, which is why he asked the question, why do you sit alone and all the people around you from morning till evening? Jethro is noticing a huge issue here, and so he approaches Moses, continuing in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy worthy, and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens and let them judge the people at all times Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Now, I love this passage in relation to correction because it gives us a perfect example of how correction should biblically be exhibited, this is our second point, if you're taking notes tonight. How is correction biblically exhibited? We just read it. One example, super important to note from this passage, is that Jethro has the relational equity with Moses. Right? This was Moses' father-in-law, who he respected and trusted. This isn't an acquaintance or someone that he doesn't do life with. This is someone who knows him and has a, a good relationship with him. And when it comes to asking the question, how do I approach correction biblically? It's important to make sure you have a relationship with that individual. Now, is there a time and a place in certain circumstances where you may have to approach someone on sin or correct someone that you don't necessarily have that relationship with? Sure, but more often than not, you are going to correct someone that you do life with. Why? Because the more you do life with someone, you are able to see more of their sin and flaws and areas that may need to be corrected. Relational relational equity is huge. Because if that relationship is there between a brother and a sister in Christ, who you respect, love, care for, you you are going to want to heed their advice. Let me just say you should want to. You should want to hear what they have to say because you know they are for your good. Jethro was for Moses' good. He, he wanted Moses to thrive and continue to be successful with the responsibilities that God had given him. Ultimately, Jethro wanted God to be glorified. Relational, relational equity is huge when it comes to correction. Second thing we see from this passage on how to handle correction biblically is Jethro's approach. Y'all, approach is so essential when it comes to correction. So so often we approach the wrong way or we get approached the wrong way. Uh, Look back at verse 14. Jethro asks, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Well, what is Jethro doing here? He's starting off by asking a question. And this is such a great way to approach someone when it comes to correction because Jethro isn't jumping to conclusions or assumptions. right? Jethro doesn't immediately tell him, hey, Moses, this is what you're, you're doing wrong. right? He doesn't immediately go to correct Moses. His approach is gentle, kind, and wise. Everlast questions are a great way to approach correction. Actually, just a few months ago, I'll give you a, another example. I was approached by one of our awesome... Everlast leaders. And she said this to me, she said, Hey, Tina, I noticed that the Everlast slides that we put up on the screen for like our Everlast crew, like, uh, for people to see as a reference, that sometimes uh, they only have uh, the verse reference on one slide. So if it's, if it's a longer verse, like two or three slides, then that that verse is only on the first slide. And so I was just wondering, like, is there a reason for that? and I loved that approach because it wasn't jumping to conclusions it was done in a, a respectful way and it was from a place of genuinely wanting to help and see the ministry thrive asking questions is a helpful and great approach when it comes to correction another really great way, way we see on approach um, correction through this text is by uh, is thirdly by Jethro being graciously honest Jethro said to Moses in verse 17, 18, look at this with me, what are, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And I love this because Jethro's not beating around the bush here, right? He's straightforward with his response. And nevertheless, we need honesty when it comes to correction, it's important that we don't give like cryptic kind of responses out of fear of hurting the other person's feelings. That's why Jethro is such a great example here because not only is he direct, but he's gracious in his words and approach. He's exemplifying Ephesians 4, 4.15, right? That we are to speak truth and love. And that's the heart behind why Jethro approached Moses in the first place is because he loved him jethro's goal and heart posture was to lift a burden not to tear down moses and his intentions which real quick worth to mention here when it comes to approaching someone on correction i think a great question to ask is what is my goal and heart posture in correcting someone Well, what's my goal is it for their good and for god to be glorified and and and, or is it for a reason that isn't biblical Right, Jethro's heart was to build Moses up, and our approach should be graciously honest. Also, a great way to approach someone, uh, lastly, is by bringing a solution. Uh, look again at verse 21. Jethro said, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. Jethro brought a solution to the correction. He, he didn't just give a correction and say, figure it out, right? He, he gave a correction and a solution along with it. Moses, uh, right? He says, um, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. What you're doing is too much for you to handle, but hey, here's my advice look for able men that fear God and place them over the people as chiefs. Listen, it's gonna be so much easier for you. When it comes to approaching someone, uh, having relational equity, asking good questions, bringing gracious, uh, being graciously honest, and coming with a solution is huge. And it's not only going to help give biblical correction, but it's also going to make receiving that biblical correction so much easier on the receiving end of that. That's how you approach someone with helpful and biblical correction. Now, what about the receiving end? I'm telling you, this is an awesome passage to reference back to because not only does it give us how to give correction, but it also shows how we should go about receiving correction. Moses was on the receiving end. He was the one getting corrected, and look how he responds. One, he listened. Exodus 18, 24 says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Everlast, when receiving correction, I think one of the hardest things to do is to fully listen. Because in our sinful human nature, we don't want to listen. Instead of listening, we are already thinking about our response. Right, We are already thinking about our defense, our excuse, or our reasons as to why they, uh, we are right and they are wrong. A lot of times we aren't truly and fully listening to what is being said. And listen, there are great benefits to listening. Let me just give you a few. Proverbs fifteen thirty two says, "'Whoever heeds reproof gains intelligence.'" Meaning, whoever pays attention to and listens to correction gains intelligence.'" Proverbs 13:18 says, "Whoever heeds correction is honored," meaning whoever receives and listens to correction are individuals who possess integrity and are well respected by others. Proverbs 10:17 says, "Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life." Proverbs 15:5, which we read earlier, says, "Whoever heeds reproof is prudent," meaning wise. If you wanna gain intelligence and wisdom and honor and respect and a path that leads to life, then heed correction and listen to what is being said and not just listen, but uh, secondly, humbly accept it. Exodus 18, 24 says, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said, right? Moses didn't just say, hey man, sounds great, but you know, I think I'm gonna stick with what I'm doing. Right, I think what, I'm, what I've got going on here is pretty good. It's a pretty good good, And I think there's nothing that needs to be corrected or changed. No, instead, Moses humbly accepted the correction and did everything that, that, that Jethro said. And when we reject correction in our lives, let me tell you the reason for that. When we reject correction in our lives, it's because of pride, Pride keeps us from listening to sound advice and keeps us from experiencing the joyful benefits of receiving correction. And the Bible warns us of those who don't humbly receive correction. Proverbs one thirty verses, uh, Proverbs one verses thirty through thirty one says uh, that those who reject correction, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Proverbs 5, 12 through 14 goes on to say that those who reject correction, that it's only a matter of time until until they say themselves, I am at the brink of utter ruin. Rejecting correction is due to a heart that is prideful and seeing what is right in our own eyes. Moses, on the other hand, humbly received all the correction from Jethro and did all that he said. Now now let me just clarify, am I saying that every correction and every advice you ever receive you need to take? Um, No. There is some bad advice that can be given. Which is why the third thing we see here is Moses listened for God's direction. Exodus 18.23, Jethro says to Moses, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Everlast, Moses was someone who had spent time with God. He was being used by God and was continuing to listen and obey God. God had Moses' ear, which means that Moses was able to distinguish if Jethro's advice was from God or from man. Everlast, any correction that you receive, listen for God's direction. Go to his word spend time with them, test what was said, pray, ask for wisdom and clarity on that correction. Because Moses had a relationship with God and was constantly going to God, he knew that that correction was from God. And praise God, everlasting, that one of the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. I can tell you there's been so many times personally as I am listening to correction uh, that the Holy Spirit starts to convict me and confirm what that person is saying. We have to listen to God's direction in the correction. Lastly, not only does this passage give us a picture of how, but when. If you're taking notes, when is correction appropriate? Correction is appropriate when three things are involved. There's three things when correction is appropriate. One is greater effectiveness. Jethro saw that in order for Moses to continue being effective in the ministry and oversight that that God had given Moses, there needed to be some correction and change in what Moses was doing. It's totally appropriate to correct someone for greater effectiveness in their life and for the greater good of the church. Quick example, Uh, let's say you have a friend you know could have a greater effectiveness if they had better time management. It is totally appropriate to correct and approach them on that, right? Jethro approached Moses because there was great effectiveness to be had. Secondly, it is totally appropriate to correct for the betterment of that individual. Here's another example, if you are a teacher or a parent in the room, your student or child, let's say is doing a math problem and they're doing it completely wrong. What are you gonna do? You're gonna correct them. Why? Because you want them to succeed, right? You want them to learn and thrive and have a better education and grow up to be smart, not dumb and intelligence, right? Intelligent, corrected myself, right? It would be unloving to just let them get the problem wrong. Right, It's totally appropriate to correct for the betterment of that individual. Thirdly, which I'm going to spend a little more time on, is sin. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Everlast, we are uh, called to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ when sin is present and is leading down a destructive path. Correction is needed when sin is involved. James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Luke seventeen three says... Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Right? We are called to correct and restore our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sinning. And that's a good thing. Everlast, we should want to to have people in our lives who are so for our walk with Jesus that that when sin is present and is being continually noticed in us, that we have the relational equity uh, with a brother and sister in Christ to call us out on it. If we as believers are, are for the glory of God and for the sanctification of becoming more like Jesus, we shouldn't just want that to take place in our lives, but we should also invite correction in. And I think a great question to ask is, have you invited someone into your life to speak in? H- have you asked a brother or sister in Christ, hey, I-, I give you full permission. If you see something in me that is not God honoring, right, if-, if you see a sin struggle that I may not see, or maybe I'm undermining it, making it not a big deal, will you please correct me? Like, will, will you please have my back and call me out on it? if you were a believer in the room and you don't have someone to hold you accountable to, to call you out on sin, right? You don't have someone speaking in or haven't asked or invited someone to correct you when they see something going down. Let me just encourage you do that. That that would be a really good and beneficial thing in your life. Now, is it necessarily a fun thing? No. Right? I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life when being corrected, I've been like, thank you. Wow, like this is a blast, super fun. My sin is expo- exposed. Thank you. We should totally make a habit and do this more often. That does not happen, right? It's never happened. It's not fun getting corrected, especially when your sin is being exposed under what seems like the spotlight. But I love Hebrews 12 because it's a passage that levels with us in this. listen to Hebrews 12. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start in verse seven. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Continue on in a few verses later. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I love this passage because God is leveling with us saying for the moment, all discipline's gonna seem painful, right? It's not gonna be pleasant. It's not gonna be fun. But it goes on to say that later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. When we are being corrected due to sin, it's for the purpose of holiness, that we may be holy and bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And listen, Everlast, that's such good news that, that God is continually sanctifying us, making us become more like Jesus, which just again goes back to the fact that God corrects us, why? because he loves us. That that correction is actually a good, biblical, and much needed thing in our lives. If we want to become more like Jesus, correction is necessary. And Everlast, our prayer for you tonight is that you would leave here embracing correction. That that you would leave here, instead of like cringing at correction, that, that you would leave here embracing it, that that you would see correction, listen to this, that you would see correction through the lens of a loving and caring act of display by the Father who is correcting you for your good and making you more like Jesus. Everlast, would we be a ministry that embraces correction and biblically receives and gives correction for the purpose of what it was intended for, God's glory, our good, and our sanctification. Amen? Let's pray.